all awake. You look pretty awake out there. Got some caffeine. All right. Uh, well, welcome to the workshop, What You Say Matters, the vision and skills to image God in everyday conversation. I'm Maria, and I work on the Mason-Dixon team for Disciple Makers. This is Jessica. She works on the Penn State team. And fun fact, I know, tears for you. Um, fun fact, Jessica and I actually grew up together. So we've known each other for years. So we're really excited to get to do this as a team. But conversation is something that we do every day. In fact, I saw a lot of you talk to each other before we even started. So great job. Uh, and if you're at this workshop, we're guessing that you want to grow in your conversation skills just like we do. And in your quest to grow in conversation, you might run across books like this one. This is one that we ran across. This book is called How to Talk to Anyone, Communicate with Confidence and Charisma Using Charm, Banter, and Small Talk. I mean, what a title. And if you look in uh, your packet on pages 28 to 29, you'll find your outline. Uh, And there's also a quote from this book here. I'm going to read it to you. It's from the back of the book. It says, Become an irresistible communication powerhouse. Maybe you're trying to make new friends, get that job promotion, be an effective and charismatic leader, or get lucky in love. How you communicate verbally, physically, and online holds the key that will open these doors for you. That sounds really appealing, doesn't it? I mean, doesn't everyone want to improve their conversation so that they can have better relationships and be successful? But did you catch what's missing from this quote? There's actually two things. First, God, he's missing. He isn't mentioned at all. And second, other people. There's no mention of of how our conversations affect the person that we're talking to. So this book, actually, if you read it, it comes from a very me-oriented perspective. And I'm going to unpack that a little bit more later in point one. But in this workshop today, we want to talk about conversations from God's perspective, not from the world's. And so we're going to set the foundation in point one by looking at the source and goal for our conversations. Then in point two, we'll look inward to see what kind of character God calls us to have as we enter conversations. And then we'll wrap up in point three by moving outwards. What does it look like practically to image God in our everyday conversations? And during this last part of the workshop, Jenska and I will do some practice conversations where we will use or not use the skills that we just taught to you. And we're going to ask for your feedback. So we're very excited for that part. And our goal for this workshop, it is not to have perfect conversations. Because as you've been learning about in the main sessions, Jesus was the only perfect person. We're not going to be able to talk perfectly, but our goal is to image God's character in our conversations with the Holy Spirit's help. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive in. All right, dear Jesus, we come before you, and Jesus, we are so thankful to be here and get to worship you together. Wow, what a privilege and a taste of heaven that we're getting this weekend. Jesus, I pray that you would give Jensen and I great wisdom as we're up here As we speak, Lord, you give us clarity in speech, Lord. I pray that you would give us open minds and hearts to receive your word and what you have for us today. And I pray that we'd be women who image you in our conversations. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, well, let's start by looking at point one, setting the foundation. So first, we want to look at the source of conversation, the source of conversation. Have you ever thought about where conversations come from? Well, if you go back to the very first book of the Bible in Genesis, 
in chapters one to two, we see that God created humans in his image with the ability to communicate. So that means that God is the source or the author of conversation. And since God is the source of conversation, he gets to set the goal for our conversations. So what is God's goal for a conversation? Well, let's take a look at one of God's primary goals for conversation in 2 Corinthians 5.20 in your packet, which says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. That means that God's goal is that we represent him to the people around us when we speak and when we act. And this is totally opposite of the world's goal for our conversations. So if you remember the world, it's like this book, um, the goal for their conversations is self-promotion. So it's what can I get out of this conversation? How can this conversation make me look better? How can it build my reputation? And I think for most of us, if we're honest, this is where we start when we want to have better conversations. I know this is where I started. Um, So growing up, I was pretty shy and quiet, and I didn't know really how to talk to people. And my main goal in improving my conversation skills was how can I make myself less awkward and how can I become more popular? But all those goals, it all started with me. But God, he's a different goal in mind. He calls us to enter conversations, not primarily because of what we can get out of them, but because of what we can give to them. And so the world says that the goal of conversation is self-promotion. The scriptures say it's actually God promotion. So God, the source of conversation, wants our conversations to reflect him. So how do we have conversations like that that reflect God? Well, Jenska is going to help us with that and take a look at point two. Thanks, Maria. So friends, as Maria said, we must begin with what God, the creator of conversation, says. And to do this, we must first look inward at our own hearts. This is the second point on your outlines, looking inward. Now, the world tells us that how we speak and what we say make us great conversationalists. But scripture tells us that our starting point must be looking inward and examining our hearts. Maybe you're sitting here saying, I came to this workshop to improve my conversation skills. Why are we talking about our hearts? And we will get to these more practical skills. But the heart is of utmost importance to Jesus. Now, when I say the heart, I'm referring to the center of who you are. Your heart encompasses your will and your desires, but your heart is more than that. Look with me at Jesus' words to his disciples in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. This is printed in your packets. Jesus says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Jesus says your heart is your primary driver and motivator. What is in our hearts drives what comes out of our mouths, right? For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And we see here that our hearts are not neutral, right? They have good and they have bad treasure in them. Recently, God has shown me some of the bad treasure or some of the sin in my own heart. For as long as I can remember, maybe similar to you, Maria, when I enter conversations, I've wanted people to think that I am a knowledgeable, godly person, 
I desire that people approve of me and greatly fear their disapproval. This pride is often in my heart and it changes how I view people. Those I speak with are no longer fellow image bearers who are worthy of my love and care. They are people who can praise me. My conversations as a result become a tool of self-promotion rather than God-promotion. My heart isn't neutral, so my words aren't either. And this is true for all of us. The sin in our hearts will make its way into our conversations. So we must identify what sinful motives drive us. And we must put those things off. This is subpoint A on your outline. There's a fill in the blank. Put off sin. How do we do this? Well, first, we must ask God and others to reveal the sin in our hearts. Again, we're not always aware of what it is that's driving us. So we can humbly go to God in prayer and to trusted friends and ask them to help us identify our sin. And when you do this, you may just find that, like me, there is pride in your heart which desperately seeks the approval of others. Or maybe there's a deep-rooted fear of rejection. Maybe there's even anger in your heart towards those who have ignored you or mistreated you in conversation. Once you've identified this sin, you must honestly and boldly confess it to God, remembering that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, you have the sure promise of God's forgiveness. Now, after confessing our sin, we also must put on the good treasure of love and humility in order to image and promote God in conversation. This is subpoint B on your outline. Put on love and humility. We'll start with love. Take a look with me at what John has to say about God's love in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Again, this is printed in your packets. John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We see in verses seven and eight that God is the source of love. It is central to his very being. And we also see in verse nine that God's love initiated, right? It took action. It sent Jesus into the world. And Jesus lived here among us. And when he was here, he didn't ignore us. Love compelled him to engage personally with us. If you've read the gospels, then you know this to be true. Now in verse 10, we see that God's love even led Jesus to the cross to die for the sin of the world. And friends, this means that we don't need to try to get love out of our conversations. We have already been loved. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross evidenced this for us. Look with me at verse 11. John says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So in the same way that God loved us by sending Jesus to earth, we must love others by initiating with them. And conversation, you guessed it, is one of the number one ways to do that. Now, this is very countercultural. We often linger and wait for someone to talk to us, especially when we are the new person. Maybe you've even felt this temptation this weekend. 
Why should I talk to them? I'm the new person here at this conference. Our default is for people to come to us. But I think what John is saying here is that true love looks like going to them. Since God is an initiating God, we are called to be initiating people. Have you guys realized that you image the gospel every time you begin a conversation with someone? It's incredible truth. Unfortunately, fear often hinders us from initiating conversations. And I think John knows this too, because a few verses later in 1 John 4, he's going to tell us that perfect love casts out fear. I think he's suggesting here that when fear is present, it's a sign that we are not resting in the security of God's love. So sometimes when you're at a large event, like a party, a wedding, or a conference like this, the thought of entering into conversation just feels terrifying, right? So you stay in your own little bubble. I think we've all had an experience like this. I know I certainly have. But then, just when you're the most fearful, one of your close friends walks into the room, comes over to you, and she starts talking. And then she says, hey, let's go talk to these other people together. And you agree. You go with her. Why did you do that? Just before, you were completely against the idea. Well, you agreed because the security of your friend's love and her presence freed you from fear, and it moved you to action. And when you were with her, you found yourself doing and saying things you probably never would have done or said without her. Friends, how much greater and more secure is God's love for us than any humans? God did not withhold his only son. And because of Jesus' work on the cross, he is the friend who will never leave us. He is always with us. So when we feel afraid to approach others and talk to them, we must pause to allow God's perfect love, evidenced by Christ, to cast out our fear. Now in conversation, it is not enough to put on love. We also have to put on humility when we talk to people. I mentioned earlier that I wrestle frequently with pride. Love to give you a little window into what that's looked like. This comes out often in my conversations with my coworkers. A few months ago, I was talking with one of them, and I didn't know how to answer a question he had asked me, so I just kind of fumbled through my words. It was really embarrassing. <laughs> After we talked, I knew he'd seen my lack of knowledge and wisdom on the topic we were discussing, and I felt so much shame that I cried for a long time. <laughs> After that conversation, I assumed he was asking himself why I was even on staff with Disciple Makers. And as I reflected on what happened there, I, I realized that I was so consumed with what he thought of me that I really wasn't able to serve him all in conversation. If you're anything like me, humility is not your defining characteristic. So let's consider how Jesus offers us a better path by looking at his example of humility in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1-8. through 8. Again, this is printed in your packets. Follow along with me. Paul says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, 
though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul is calling the Philippian church to share the same mindset and count others as more significant than themselves. He's not telling them to just blindly forget themselves in favor of others. They should remember that because of Christ, they too have worth, but they should consider others to be more important. So what does counting others more significant look like? I think part of this question is answered by the text in verse 4. Paul says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The word look, translated here in the Greek, means to observe and contemplate, or to direct your attention towards. But we have our own interests, right? And lots of them. How could we possibly look out for others? Well, look with me at verse 5. And take heart, Christian. Paul says it is possible to count others' interests as more significant than your own because we possess the mind of God in Christ. We already have God's mind, so we can obey God's command to count others more significant. Maybe you're wondering, how can I know if I have real humility in my conversations? I have three quick thoughts for you. First, humility leads to a curiosity about others' interests. We aren't God. We can't and don't know everything about a person. Counselor Ed Welch says that humility leads us to be suspect of ourselves, not overly confident that we know what the other person needs. So a humble conversation is marked by a drive to learn more about the person in front of you. One way to know you've done this well is if you can come away from a conversation knowing a few ways to specifically pray for someone. Secondly, humility initiates feedback. Have you asked trusted friends in your life to give you feedback on your conversations? Here are a couple questions you could ask them. Do I have mannerisms that are off-putting? Do I have communication patterns that are unhelpful? Third way to know if you have humility in your conversations, humility should lead you to prayer. You can pray before you go into conversations. Something that I've been doing even as I've prepared to talk to all of you this weekend is just praying that God would ask me to, or excuse me, help me to be a blessing to all of you um, that I speak to each day. You can also pray during your conversations, just asking God for help and wisdom and how to respond to everything that people say to you. So we're going to have an opportunity actually to do some prayer right now. Um, The media team is going to throw a slide up here for us with a few questions for you guys. During this time, the next three minutes or so, we're going to just reflect on the conversations that you've had so far today and even this week. Use this time to confess any sin the Lord reveals and to ask the Lord for help to honor and image him in your conversations. So media, if you guys could throw that slide up for us. Go ahead, guys, and I'll close this in two minutes or so. Thank you guys for taking a couple of minutes just to bow before the Lord. We really need his help to see our sin for what it is and to make the meditation of our heart what it should be so that our speech can be sweet to the Lord and to other people. Awesome. Thanks, Jensky. I don't know about you, but some of those questions are really convicting. (laughs) But so we've talked about internally preparing for conversations, examining our hearts and putting on love and humility. Now we're going to move outward 
And point three, how does this look practically in our everyday conversations? And this is the last part of our workshop. We're going to look at seven principles and two warnings to help you image God in conversation. So when I was heading off to college, my dad got me this pretty, I thought it was a pretty large size great toolbox. I thought it was a little excessive at the time. And it was really interesting that throughout college, I had a lot of friends come to me for tools. My dad didn't, didn't know what he was doing. But what's interesting is that when my friends came to me for tools, usually my friends would only need maybe one or two tools for a job. And rarely did two of my friends need the same tool at once. But you're not going to use all these principles in every conversation. Instead, you get to pick out the right tool for the job. And you'll also notice as we go along, there's actually an imbalance in our principles. So there are a lot more principles about how to listen than how to speak. And this is purposeful because for most of us, it is much harder to listen than it is to speak. Even uh, if you might say that you're a quieter, shyer person, you actually find that becoming a better listener helps you become a better speaker. And as Counselor Ed Welch says, whoever hears best will have the most influence. So listening is crucial to having impactful conversations. And you also notice there are a lot of blanks to fill in. So we will do our best to try and repeat the principles so you can get all the words. With that said, let's dive in to principle number one, which is listen for what's important. So listen for what's important. So we are often told to be better listeners. In fact, I just kind of did that up here. But we're not often told what to actually listen for. And so this principle is going to unpack three things that you can listen for or watch out for in conversations. So first thing is to follow the other person's emotions. So as the other person is talking, you're listening for what they're sharing that is good, what is hard, what's the suffering that they're going through. And if you can identify it, you want to follow the strongest emotion that's coming out. And Jesus does this all the time in his conversations. There's one example in your packet in John 11, 32 to 35. And this is when Jesus visits his friends, Mary and Martha, after their brother Lazarus has just died. And the Bible tells us, now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And the scriptures actually say, Jesus wept. If he noticed in that instance that Jesus did not respond to Mary's accusation, or why weren't you here? Instead, he responds to her emotion. So you can follow emotion. Second thing you can follow is relationships. So you want to listen for when someone is talking about relationships with their family or their roommates or their significant other. God made us in his image to be relational people. And so relationships are a key part of all of our lives. And the relationships a person has and how they talk about them will, will reveal what is important to them. Our right, third thing that you can watch out for is body language. We actually see an example of this uh, from a pagan king in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. This is in your packet as well. It says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I, Nehemiah, took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? 
This is nothing but sadness of heart. Wow. So this pagan king noticed Nehemiah's sadness just based on his facial expressions. And these are things that we can pick up in conversation too. So we can notice uh, body language, facial expressions, eye contact, how much or how little someone's speaking. Um, I'll give you a quick example. Uh, When someone starts speaking, talking uh, faster and louder about something, they're often excited about what they're saying. Um, So that's one quick example. There's a lot of great resources on YouTube uh, and just online to help you learn how to navigate body language. But a quick diagnostic tool, if you want to know if you're listening for what's important, a way to know that you're tracking with what someone's saying is what does the person say after you speak? Are they still talking about the same topic or have they moved on? Because chances are, if they have changed the topic, you may not be tracking with what is most important to them. So that's our first principle. Listen for what's important. Follow emotions, relationships, and body language. All right, second principle, listen for deeper questions. So listen for deeper questions. So you might find that as you grow in your faith and as you get older, uh, you might start having family and friends come to you with questions like, how can God be good and allow suffering? Or maybe someone will ask, actually recently had this, is anxiety a sin? And so when people come to us with those questions, we need to recognize that these deeper questions are almost always personal questions. Uh, and one of the best ways you can respond when someone comes to you with one of those questions is to, well, first thank them, say, wow, that's a great question. Thank you. And to say, I- I'm curious what prompted that question. And so here's a quick example of how that played out for me. Uh, about a year ago, I had a student ask me about the role of the Holy Spirit. And I was ready to go talk all about the Holy Spirit. And like we learned this weekend, what all the Holy Spirit does. Uh, but when I pressed in, I started asking her more questions. It turned out that the reason she was asking this question was that her boyfriend and his church had a different view of the Holy Spirit than, than this girl in her church. And so as we unpacked it more, it turned out that one of the questions she was really asking was, if my beliefs about the Holy Spirit don't line up with my boyfriend's, do I stay with him? So sometimes these deeper questions, they are just purely deeper questions. Uh, People are just genuinely curious. But many times you will find that these deeper questions are coming out of someone's personal experience. All right, let's move on to principle three. Listen without distractions. Listen without distractions. So when we listen without distraction, we are imaging our personal God who is fully attentive to us. If you look in your packet at Psalm 34, 15, it says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. So if you notice in this verse, there's both a visual element. So the eyes of the Lord, they're on the righteous. He's focused. And there's this hearing element. His ears are attentive to their cries. Actually, and it's really ironic because this week, the character trait I've been working on with my three, three-year-old is attentiveness. And the thing that we talk about is that attentiveness is we look with our eyes and we listen with our ears and he does the little motions. And so we image the Lord as we focus on the person in front of us. But I think that this is often pretty hard for us because we tend to run into two types of distractions. So you might struggle with internal distractions. This is definitely me. There's thoughts in your mind like, what are we going to have for dinner? Or will I be able to sleep tonight in that bunk bed? Um, so those are kind of your internal distractions. To 
minimize internal distractions, uh, you can pray and ask the Lord to help you consciously bring your thoughts back to the person in front of you. And that's actually where keeping your eyes on the person can be really helpful. Um, and there's a second type of distraction. I think this is also really common. I struggle with this too. And these are external distractions. This could be your smartphone, your smartwatch, sometimes even just what's happening around you in the room. And so with external, extra- external distractions, especially, especially technology, really try to limit your use of technology when you're talking to other people. So try not to check your phone or your, even your smartwatch unless you really have to. I would even encourage you, this might be a big challenge, but maybe put your phone away at meals at women's conference and talk to people at the table. And because when you have your technology out, when you're, when you're constantly checking it in conversation, you're implicitly saying to the person you're talking to that, that those people on your phone or your smartwatch are more important, more important than they are. And so we want to image our God who is fully present with us. So stay focused on the person in front of you who you're talking to. All right, fourth principle, ask good questions. So ask good questions. Jesus used questions all the time. In fact, there are over 300 questions recorded in the Gospels that Jesus asked. And so to ask good questions, you have to listen without distraction, which is our previous principle. And this principle really comes out of Philippians 2 that Jessica unpacked for us. Because if we're supposed to look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others, we have to know what their interests are. And often the way we learn about their interests is by asking questions. In fact, even the world has picked up on this. Um, Dale Carnegie in his book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, it's a super popular book out there. uh, He writes, you can make more friends in two months by becoming genuinely interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. So if you are in a conversation and you're not sure what question to ask, sometimes a helpful one can just be, could you tell me more about that? So someone's telling you about their major, you just be like, wow, that's awesome. Can you tell me more about that? Um, And you will find in conversation that often yes and no questions and questions that are too general or too vague, they don't tend to move conversations along. So you want to ask questions that are both open-ended and more specific. So let me give you an example to kind of put some flesh on that. So let's say on Monday, you go back on campus and you see a friend that you know. And instead of asking your friend, hey, did you have a good weekend? Which is a yes or no question. Or asking, how was your weekend? Which is pretty general and usually people just say fine. Um, Instead, you could ask something like, what was the best and worst part of your weekend? So it's both open-ended and more specific. And we have some examples in the packet of just some fun kind of open-ended questions uh, as a fun way to get to know people. All right, so that's the fourth principle. Fifth principle is reflect what you've heard. So reflect what you've heard. And this is another way that you can show someone that you're tracking with them is by repeating, um, maybe not repeating, but reflecting what they said. Uh, And God actually does this with the Israelites. He actually does this a lot throughout scripture, but he does this with the Israelites when they're in the wilderness They just escaped slavery from Egypt. And let's take a look at this passage in Numbers 11 in your packet. And in this passage, the Israelites are complaining about their limited food choices. Maybe some of you can relate to that on campus. And they say, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. 
Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. And now we have lost our appetites. We never see anything but this manna. So God actually hears their complaints and he tells Moses, their leader, tell the people, the Lord heard you and you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we are better off in Egypt. So God in in that passage is reflecting back to the Israelite people what they said. And we notice that God picked up on their theme of discontent. And so we want to do this with the people that we're talking to. As we're listening to them, we're listening for themes and repeated ideas and, and what they're saying that's most important. And we're reflecting that back to them. So we just looked pretty quickly at five principles of how we can put on love and humility in conversations to image God. So Jenska and I are now going to do two practice conversations where we will use or not use these skills. And then we're going to ask for the audience's feedback because we might need help with some of our conversations. So we're going to do a conversation and then we'll pause and ask for feedback and then we'll do our second conversation. Sound good? All right. Look good? Okay, there's no bug in my hair? All right. Okay, I just checked. Something about a weird look. I was like, all right, there's going to be something going on. Okay. All right. Hey, Jensica, how's your weekend? It was okay. Did you do anything fun? Well, I had a lot of homework and my dog that I've had since I was 10 died. I was supposed to have my phone with me, but wait, you said your cat died? No, my dog died. It was really sad. He had cancer and he's had it for a while and he just really went downhill this weekend. He got really weak and he just passed away. Hmm, man, yeah, that sounds hard. I don't, I don't think I told you this, but this weekend I got to go skiing and it was awesome. Like going down the slopes with the sun on my face, whew, doesn't get better than that. Yeah, that, that's nice for you. Yeah, it really was. It was a great weekend. All right, we're going to pause there. <laughs> can you some help here? Help us. Oh, we're going to have some mic rudders. So if you can share principles that we used or didn't use, and also feel free to share if you have ways we could have done that conversation better, we would love to grow. We'd love to hear them. Yeah, I know we need a lot of help. Okay, thanks, Megan. Okay, so for one, you could look at her. Um, maybe you would guess. Yes. <laughs> that would be a great place to start, wouldn't it? Yes. Yeah, yes, because then you can pick up on um, those emotions and the body language that she was giving off, and then perhaps it would, like, would be easier to like, respond to that. Yes, that's a good point. So I didn't follow her emotions, her body language. I was also really distracted. I meant to have my phone up here and be looking at it because that would probably be a little more real to life, but... Yes, I was distracted. Yeah, I wasn't looking or paying attention. Yeah, any other thoughts? Oh, yeah, over here. You didn't follow her emotions very well, so (laughs) she was very sad, but you were very happy, and you weren't being attentive. Um, And also your questions were very surface level, like you didn't really care what her answer was, and they weren't open-ended and specific. Yes. Oh, man, that's so good. You really caught up on that. Yeah, my, my, most of my questions were just yes and no or very general. I didn't really ask any follow-up questions on how she's doing with that. She shared something super hard. The dog had, man, make sure the dog dying. Yes, that's really hard. <laughs> All right, any other thought? Oh, yes. Um, earlier you said something about 
um, where is it? That when you like worry about other, what others are thinking of you, you'll not be able to like serve them through a conversation. And I feel like you were just like talking about your weekend and how awesome it was while she was like, just, hey, I'm sad this like really bad thing happened. So you weren't like very servant hearted towards her because of that. Right. That's a great point. I was really looking out for my own interests. I was like, I want you to know how great my weekend was. It's like that self-promotion. Yeah, it's really good. All right. Well, these are great thoughts, lady. ladies. Hopefully we, we improve with time. We'll see. All right, we're going to do conversation number two. All right, you ready? Now you know how this works? All right, here we go. Hey, Jensica, what was the highlight and lowlight of your weekend? I got to see my family, which was fun, but I felt super stressed out with all the homework I needed to get done. Man, that sounds really hard about your homework. Like, it's just hanging over your head. Yeah, that's really how it feels. Like, I can't stop thinking about all the work that I have to do. It makes me wonder how I'll ever get through the semester if I'm already this stressed out. Ugh, wow, your stress levels must be to the max. How is your stress affecting you physically? Well, I'm not sleeping super well at night because I'm just so stressed out. And sometimes my heart beats really quickly and my thoughts are just always racing. Oof. I'm so sorry to endure that. That sounds awful. Is there anything that I could do to come alongside of you? All right, that is conversation number two. Thanks, Megan. <laughs> some snaps up here. I think we're improving. All right, so again, we want, we want some feedback from you ladies, things, uh, principles we used or didn't use, um, things that we could have done differently. All right, front row. So um, the first thing that, like, I really noticed is that you definitely went for, like, the deeper questions. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't so very generic, and even when uh, she did give an answer, you went even further, asking how, like, she felt and um, how it, like, affected her. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Zoe. And also, um, you said if there's any, you asked if there was anything that you could do to help that shows that you genuinely cared, you genuinely listened. And a lot of times, sometimes that's all that person needs is a question like that. Yes. It's a question I've really come alongside of her. <laughs> yeah. Um, you definitely paid attention more to what was happening. And you were a lot less self-centered. You just didn't focus on what you were saying. You were more focused on her. Thank you. I feel really humble. No, this is good. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> no, yes. Yeah, I was much more. And I, I try the best that I can to make, yeah, to make that eye contact to really look and to follow, yeah, what she's saying. That's good. Yes, over here. And I think the lack of distractions, um, I think to add on to that, I think um, depending on the level of relationship in the conversation too, um, depending on like the boundaries that are there, um, I think it, like the way that you guys interacted was very healthy, um, especially if it was kind of like acquaintances or like a slight friend. Um, and it, it was good to pick up on the body language too. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. And that's a really good point. Kind of the, the relational level, like matching that. Yes. And picking up on the body language. Yeah. That's good. Um, and one quick thing I want to draw to, I don't know if you noticed that so Jessica, when I asked about highlight and lowlight of her weekend, um, she mentioned two things that she got to see her family. That was the highlight. And the lowlight was that she stressed out with all of the homework she had to get done. Now, in that conversation, I could have chosen to go either direction. So I want to show you that conversations, it's, it's more of an art than a science. The reason I chose to go and ask about the stress and the homework route is, one, I was following the stronger emotion. Because um, she's talking about her family. She's like, oh, it's fun. But I felt super stressed out with my homework. 
And so in my mind, it's like, okay, it sounds like the stronger emotion is with her homework. And then the fact that she kept talking about her stress and how she was feeling is hopefully a sign that I'm tracking with what is most important to her. So hopefully you got to see that principle play out a little bit more, that when you're tracking what's the most important, the person will keep talking about that topic. Awesome. Thank you, ladies. This was a great audience. I feel very helped. Um, thank you so much. Hopefully you're getting uh, a little bit of a picture or a taste of what these principles could look like or maybe not look like in conversation. Let's take a look now at the last two principles and then two warnings, and we're going to do some more conversations. All right, so this is principle number six on your outline. It's balanced listening and talking. Have you guys ever been in a conversation with someone who won't stop talking? That's hard, isn't it? The overtalker often wants to be heard, dislikes silence in conversations, or is more of a verbal processor. Now, have you ever been in a conversation with someone who doesn't talk at all? That's equally hard, right? The undertalker is often an internal processor. They may be unsure of what they are thinking or what they want to say, and others might just find it really hard to get to know them. Maybe you're sitting here and you're identifying yourself as one or the other. But have you realized that both of these are rooted in pride and in self-protection? Over-talkers often fear not being heard and believe their opinions are the best, so they struggle to listen well. And under-talkers often fear people and want to protect their reputations, so they struggle to speak up. Thankfully, Scripture speaks to both people in both camps. First, a call to the over-talker. Listen more. James tells us in his letter, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. I think James has to tell us this because he knows our tendency is the opposite to be slow to listen and quick to speak. But overtalker, you can humbly set aside your thoughts to thoroughly hear another's. You don't need to fill awkward silence. You can sit and think, ask a follow-up question, or pray and ask the Lord for wisdom before responding. And now a call to the undertalker, talk more. In your packets is 2 Corinthians um, chapter 6, verses 11 through 13, the Apostle Paul has some wise words here for the undertalker. He says, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children. Widen your hearts also. Undertalker, you can humbly share your heart in conversation with others without fear of rejection. Seek to be unrestricted in sharing as is appropriate. In our conversations, we want to find the balance between talking and listening, all for the sake of building other people up and encouraging them. All right, our last principle is share weakness. Share weakness. So we often want to share our strengths, skills, and successes. But in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9, Paul shares with the Corinthian church about how God refused to remove his suffering Look with me in your packet. Paul says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Here we see that God told Paul that his power is made perfect in weakness, and Paul concludes that because of this, he will boast gladly of them. Similarly, friends, we must be boasting gladly of our own weaknesses. 
Sometimes our conversations stay at such a shallow level, right? We can discuss TikTok trends and Taylor Swift's latest album and how unfair our professor was on our last exam till the cows come home. But we need to practice vulnerability in conversation. Paul himself was able to build relationships with churches he didn't even visit because he shared his life with them in his writing. So here's a practical for you. Each day, try to have something that's going well and something that's been challenging prepared so that when people ask you the common question, how are you doing today? You um, will have something deeper to share. Here's an example for all of you. Often people at church ask me how my week was. Maybe you've been in the same boat. And recently I said, you know, I've been really encouraged by how God's working in my small group Bible study this week. I'd love to share about that with you. But I'm worried I might have taken on a little too much in this season. I haven't been sleeping well this week because I've been stressed out. Sounds kind of like the example of conversation a little bit, ironically. <laughs> when we share our weaknesses, other people feel safe to share their burdens and to ask for prayer. And they may even become curious about this God who's helped us in the midst of our weakness. So following the example above, I could say something like, you know, though I'm tired, I'm thankful that God's been giving me the strength every day to handle my responsibilities. And I could share more about what that's looked like with them. Friends, boasting in our weakness is a wonderful opportunity to share how God is our help. So that was all our principles. Now Maria is going to share with us a few warnings when it comes to our conversations. All right, so two warnings. First warning, be careful of giving advice. Be careful of giving advice. How many of you have received unsolicited advice? That means advice you did not ask for. Yes. Okay, I see a lot of hands. Okay, I feel like this happens to me all the time. I think we all have, or we have all received that kind of advice, or we've been givers of, of unwanted advice. In fact, just a, fr- a few weeks ago, I gave a friend unsolicited advice on how to approach online dating, even though I've never done online dating. Um, and Proverbs 18.2 in your packet tells us, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. So the scriptures say that it is foolish to give advice too quickly. And I think when we, when we give advice too quickly, there's often a good, and I think maybe a not so good root of this. The good root is that we genuinely want to help people. We want to help our friends. But I think oftentimes there's this prideful root that we think we know right away how to help someone. And we like being in that position of power of being the helper. So if we do offer advice, we want to do it humbly, recognizing that we do not have all the answers. Only God does. And so if someone comes to you for advice, um, you might say something like, can I share uh, something that's been helpful for me? Or you might even want to ask them, um, let's say they're sharing about a situation in their life. Why don't you just ask them, would you like advice? Uh, Or it'd be more helpful if I asked you questions to help you think through the situation. And we have to remember the nature of advice, that advice is something that is sought. So be slow to give advice. All right, second warning, be careful of matching stories. Be careful of matching stories. If you look in your packet at Proverbs 14.10, it says, Each heart knows its own bitterness, and no one else can share its joy. So, Often our temptation in conversation, when someone is sharing their life with us, especially I would say something hard, it's to match our experience with theirs. Maybe you've been in conversations like this where 
Um, your friend says, oh, I moved around a lot as a kid. And you're like, oh my gosh, I moved like 10 different places. Uh, or maybe uh, someone will say, oh, you know, I lost my grandma last year. And maybe you'll say, I lost both my grandparents three years ago. And there's actually something really good about this. This is actually the nature of empathy and compassion that we typically, we want to find this comparative circumstance in our life so that we can better enter the other person's world. But the problem is that if we do this too quickly, it can cause the conversation to turn back to ourselves before we fully understand the other person's situation. So uh, instead of saying, or maybe you've experienced this, someone say to you, I know just how you feel. Because usually people don't actually know how we actually feel. Um, Instead, often a more loving thing to say is, that sounds really hard. And to say it from a heart of deep compassion. But there is a point where sharing experiences can be really helpful. Because again, that is compassion, empathy. We're entering into that person's world. We're connecting with them. And so some ways that you can do this, uh, if you do if you do a kind of a corollary in your life you want to share, you might want to say something like, I know my experience isn't exactly like yours, but I found the scripture really encouraging when I went through this. Or maybe you want to ask permission to say, oh my goodness, I've gone through something similar. Would it be helpful if I shared about it with you? Or would it be helpful if I just sat here and listened? So we want to be careful with matching stories. All right, so that was all of our principles and our two warnings. We're going to do two more interactive conversations and ask for your feedback. All right, so interactive conversation number one. You ready, Jenska? Hey, Maria, guess what? I got an A on my paper. That's awesome. I know you worked really hard on it. Yeah, and, and not only that, but I got an A on my exam too. What did you get on your exam? No, definitely not an A. It was a C, barely. Yeah. Well, if you want to do better next time, I found it really helpful to study right before the exam and to get 10 hours of sleep the night before. You should also study in the room you're about to take the exam in and make flashcards. Quizlet is a great tool. Don't forget the flashcards. Yeah, you know, I did get an A on the last exam. Yeah, that's true. You know, I've gotten A's on all the exams so far. They really haven't been that hard for me. That's well, good for you. I gotta go. <laughs> all right, I will stick it out. Don't worry. All right, guys. So what went well and maybe not so well as you reflect on the principles and the warnings that we just shared? Uh, something I noticed is that you didn't ask her um, anything about it. For all you know, she did, like, study really hard. Um, like, I've been in that experience before where they're like, oh, did you try this? I'm like, well, I did that, and I still got this grade. Like, So, like, it could almost, like, put salt on the wound if you're saying, well, did you, tr- like, you should do all these things. That's what got me the A. What if she did try all those things? Like, and she still got the B, now it makes her feel worse about it. Yes, that's a great point. I assumed a lot in the conversation. Yeah, thank you. Anyone else? Done well or poorly? There was a lot of like unsolicited advice without asking if they wanted exa- advice. So, yes, absolutely. Especially my long monologues. There's all the things you can do uh, to do better on your exams. Yes, to the point where I didn't even listen well to her. She had to say, Yep, you know, I did get an A. On the last exam, right? Yeah. I want to get that in there. Yours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little pride coming out there. Yes, pride. It's a pride. fault of yes. Yeah. yeah. What else? Yeah, I think your humility was waning. 
Thanks, Bonnie. I agree. That's such a nice way to put it, Bonnie. Yes. Yeah, I definitely boasted in my strengths instead of my weaknesses, right? In the conversation. Yeah, I got an A on my paper. Yeah. Yeah, good thoughts, guys. Maybe we can do our little more here, Gigi. I have one. So the last warning you gave was be careful of matching stories. I felt like you matched your stories by saying I got all A's as well when she said I got an A before. So I think that was a warning for sure. Yeah, because the conversation went back to your to yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, good catch there with the matching stories, talking about, you know, us getting those A's. Yep. That's a really hard one in conversation, Sal, especially for me. Yeah, me too. Thanks, guys. All right, we have one more for you. Leslie, you're hanging in there. Okay. Here we go. Hey, Maria. Guess what? I got an A on my paper. That's awesome. I knew you worked really hard on it. Yeah. Not only that, but I got an A on my exam, too. How did you do on your exam? Uh, definitely not an A. It was a C. <laughs> Barely. I'm so sorry, Maria. I'm the left of my failure. <laughs> <laughs> Maria, I'm so sorry. I know you were really hoping for the A. How are you feeling about the test not going the way you were hoping it would go? Well, you know, honestly, I'm really disappointed and I'm really frustrated. Like, I put all this time into studying. I don't see any results from it. That is so frustrating. I feel that way in chem especially. Like, I work so hard and I don't notice any difference. Yeah, it's really hard. Would you mind if I shared something that's been helpful for me? Sure. I've been praying that God would help me to find my identity and what he says about me and not in my grades. While I still get bad grades sometimes, especially in chem, I'm finding that it doesn't crush me as much as it used to. Wow, that sounds really helpful. Maybe I'll start doing that too. Alrighty. What went well or poorly? Oh, I think we have someone up here. Um, something you did good was match her emotions. When she said she got a bad grade on the exam, you sort of, sort of, yeah, you started being like, oh, this is sad. I'm sorry. And asking her about her feelings. Yep. So I followed her emotion well in that. Yeah. Right here. I think the conversation was much more balanced that you both had a chance to like share your emotions, but then also kind of empathize with the other person. So like each person got their own chance to share, but then also listen. So that was really good. Yes, neither of us took over the conversation, but there really was a balance there of listening and talking. Yeah, thank you. In the back, any others? Oh, over here? You go ahead. Um, you also weren't afraid to share your weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, boasting in, in my weaknesses. Yes. Yeah. I think I could have done maybe a little better job bringing it back around to the Lord, but yes. The Kylan? I think... For Jessica, you could have just started out asking, like, hey, how did you do in the test? Rather than starting out with yourself. Yes. So you caught mm-hmm. that. I still did both yes. a little bit at the beginning there. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you did give advice this time, but you asked instead of just like throwing it out there and being like, hey, this is what I like. Instead, you were like, hey, can I share with you? And then she said yes. So you were able to help her. Because he did help her in the first one, but it was very, like, how to, like, 
well, you did it wrong, obviously, you know, so. <laughs> right. That was really good. Some things you should do. <laughs> yep. Yes. And Maria humbly gave me permission to share that advice. Yes. Yeah. And I, I was going to say, I think going off of that, we shared is really good because, um, yeah, Jessica both asked for permission. And obviously she also read my body language because sometimes you'll be in conversations where you might ask someone like, hey, can I share something that's been helpful with you? They might say yes, where their body language is saying something different. Mm-hmm. So I was very open to her. I was nodding my head. Yes. But if someone's standing like this, like, yeah, can share, you may not, maybe be like, maybe another yeah. time. Um, so, so even if you, if you ask permission, you do also want to read the body language. So does a person actually want it? Because some people will just say yes. So I'm just throwing that out there. Yes. All right. Well, I think we're good. Thank you, guys. I think we're slightly improving with time. All right. Good voice. Uh, well, thank you, ladies, for participating. Hopefully that was helpful. Uh, again, just to reinforce what we're learning, kind of give you a picture of it. We really encourage you to pick out a one or two of these practicals that you want to try and grow in and even share that with your small group tomorrow or with your friends from your campus or your staff worker. And also pray and ask for the Holy Spirit's help like we learned this morning. He's inside of us to help us and transform us. We also have a page in our packet. I think it's page 28. No, that's not right. Um, page 30 with some exercises to help you grow in conversation. Um, they came out of the book, uh, from, they came out of the book, The Six Conversations, Pathways to Connecting in an Age of Isolation and Incivility. I highly recommend that book. There's some exercising it to just help you get started in growing in this area. But just to recap, we've seen how God's starting place for conversation is much different from the world's. So the world wants us to promote ourselves, but scripture calls us to promote God And instead of selfishly entering conversations for our own gain, God calls us to check our hearts and put on love and humility. And this internal change of character then flows outward into how we listen and speak so that we image God in our conversations. And we don't have to get it all right. Jesus spoke perfectly when he was here on earth because he knew that we would not be able to. So sisters, you can go out today with freedom and courage to have conversations that reflect God's character. And as you focus less on yourself and more on Jesus and the person in front of you, you may just find that you enjoy talking with people way more than you ever thought possible. I'm gonna go ahead and close this in prayer. Father, thank you for this opportunity to learn what your word has to say about our conversations. Father, we ask for your help as we leave this room tonight. As we enter into conversations, God, would you motivate us uh, with your love and your humility um, and equip us with these principles uh, to love others well in conversation. And God, I just want to pray along with uh, David in Psalm chapter 19. um, May the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.